Well, good morning and welcome to Bachelor Creek. We are so glad that uh, you have chosen to worship with us this morning. We're excited to continue in our Gospel Fluency series. Excited to have the brains with us and learn more about their ministry and, and how this church is a part of, of what God's doing in West Africa. And uh, it's a good day to be in the Lord's house together. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Mark chapter 10 in a little bit. I uh, encourage you to uh, turn there. And as you're doing that, I just want to ask you, what do you love? Like, what do you really, truly love? You love your family, your spouse, your kids, your grandkids. Maybe you love shopping or fishing or sports. Maybe you love food, you love coffee. To find out what you really love, you have to ask yourself x-ray questions. Questions that, that get below the surface. Questions like, what do you find yourself talking about? Where does your mind continually drift to? What fills up your calendar? Where do you find yourself giving money to? See, the actions you take and the decisions you make demonstrate what you love most. Our words, our actions, our decisions are all an overflow of what's inside of our heart. Jesus said it this way in Luke 6, verse 45, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. I remember when our oldest son, Caleb, was little, he loved construction vehicles. He loved them. I mean, he would talk about construction vehicles all the time. And part of it may have been because for 12 of the 14 years that we lived in Texas, our church had some sort of building uh, project going on, and so it was just a perpetual construction site. There was dirt and there was uh, equipment and temporary fence and gravel just all the time. And our kids loved it because they got a front row seat to cranes and, and bulldozers and backhoes. And when Caleb was two and three years old, every night we would read him a book, Good Night, Good Night, Construction Site. We read it so many times that Tara and I had the words memorized. We just flipped the pages, didn't even have to look at it because we knew the words. Caleb would watch TV shows about construction vehicles. Anytime we were in the car and we would drive past a construction site, he would make sure that we stopped so he could see what was being built. He would point out the vehicles and he would tell us what they were doing. He'd say, look, there's a front loader. Oh, Dad, look at that excavator. And he'd use all these big words and describing these vehicles and I have to get out my phone and I'm like Googling what these vehicles are because I don't know what they are. I remember telling Tara that Christmas is going to be easy this year. Let's just get him a hard hat and an orange safety vest and call it a day. Like, he'll be in heaven. He loved construction vehicles. You know, we talk about what we love, and we love what we talk about. We talk about what we love, and we love what we talk about. In our world today, we could also say, you post about what you love. You share what you love. You talk about what you love and you post online what you love. I remember years ago looking at my wife's Instagram and there was like 50 posts in a row all about our newborn son. Why? Because her heart was full of love for this child. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The fingers type what the heart is full of. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus encounters a man whose deepest love is revealed in the course of a remarkable conversation. We're going to read this conversation together. If you have your Bibles, Mark 10, and we're going to begin in verse 17. 
And I want to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to one another, who then can be saved? Jesus looked back at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, We have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. Why do you think people don't talk about Jesus? How would you answer that? I think some people would say, you know, I don't feel equipped I'm not prepared. I'm afraid of saying the wrong thing. I don't know enough. I'm afraid of being rejected. Right? And certainly as the church, we want to train and equip people. But I believe the biggest reason people don't talk about Jesus is because they don't love him. And I know that may sound like a a pretty hard statement to hear, but remember, you talk about what you love, and you love what you talk about. And if you're not talking about Jesus, then you don't love him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm not saying you don't love Jesus. I'm just saying that your love for him at best is a lesser love. So from Mark 10, I want us to look at three insights that we can gain about the relationship between our heart and love. First, what we love most inside eventually expresses itself outside. What we love most inside eventually expresses itself outside. We're familiar with this story as rich young ruler. The story is told in Matthew 19, Mark chapter 10, and Luke chapter 18. Matthew's version tells us that he's a young man. Luke's version tells us that he's a ruler. And all three of them tell us that he's wealthy. Collectively, they paint this picture of a rich young ruler. 
beyond this description, we see this man as a good religious and moral person. He's interested in spiritual things. He comes to Jesus asking, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus directs him to the law of Moses, the the Ten Commandments. You shall not murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony, honor your father and mother. And the man remarkably responds, I've kept all these commands since I was a boy. So here's a man who lives a moral life. We would describe him as obedient. He follows God's commands. And Jesus loves this man. But Jesus knows that obedience without love is empty. It's hollow. And Jesus wants to reveal to this man where his true love lies. And so he asks him to sell all of his possessions and give them to the poor. Jesus doesn't ask this of everyone. We're not required to take a vow of poverty in order to receive eternal life. But Jesus knew that by issuing this command, this rich young ruler's greatest love would be displayed. This man loved money more than God. He loved God, but he loved money more. And Jesus exposed this man's heart. Because what we love most inside eventually expresses itself outside. For this man, money was his idol. It was what gave him meaning and purpose and significance in life. An idol is what Tim Keller calls a counterfeit God. He defines a counterfeit God as anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. For this man... Money was a counterfeit God. Last week, we looked at some some lesser stories that can become our greatest love. You might remember Job Jeremy, where where Jeremy was so consumed with advancing and work and success and, and money that that's what drove his life. We talked about political Peggy. Peggy was just so consumed with politics and making sure that that her side won, and she woke up thinking about politics. She would go to bed thinking about politics. And we talked about leisure Larry. And Larry, everything in his life was a means to an end. Everything in life was so that he could be full of relaxation and entertainment. And we talked about how all three of these people, they loved God. They read the Bible but, but they loved other things more. Like the rich young ruler, God wasn't their ultimate love. For them, when they talked, what came out of their mouth? What came out of their heart? It was money and success. It was politics. It was entertainment. Because what we love most inside eventually expresses itself outside. Second, Notice that settling for lesser loves leaves us sad. Settling for lesser loves leaves us sad. After Jesus tells this rich young ruler to go sell all of his possessions and come follow him, we're told in verse 22, at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. And any time we settle for lesser loves, that's going to be our response too. Maybe not immediately, 
for, for a time, it may feel like everything's going great. We're living our best life. Everything is working out. We're happy. We're having fun. We're successful. But the problem is, lesser loves never leave us that way. Ultimately, we will end up sad. Compare this man's response to that of the disciples. Peter says in verse 28, we have left everything to follow you. And ultimately, Peter wants to know, Jesus, is it worth it? If the rich and the powerful and the successful, if they have a hard time entering the kingdom of heaven, what hope do we have? Jesus, we've given everything to follow you. We've made the decision that there is no turning back. Is it going to be worth it? We read in Luke chapter 5 that Peter, James, and John, they lead a successful and profitable fishing business. And Jesus comes up to them after they have been fishing all night long without catching anything, and he tells them, put out your nets into the deeper water. Now, if I'm Peter, I think I immediately have two reactions. First is, come on, man, don't you think I've tried that? Like, I've let the nets out in the deep, I've let the nets out in the shallow, I've, net, I've let the nets down everywhere in between. We've been out here all night long. It's like whenever you're having problems with your internet or your phone or, you know, maybe your TV and you call the expert, and what do they say? Have you tried turning it off and turning it back on? And you're like, yes, okay, that's the very first thing I did. My second reaction would be, who do you think you are telling me how to fish? Like, I've done this since I was a boy. Like, I grew up a fisherman. I've been doing this my whole life. We've got a pretty good business here. Who are you telling me how to do my job? Be honest, you wouldn't like it if somebody came to, to your work and told you how to do your job, some random person. Somebody taps you on the shoulder, hey, you should do this. But we know Jesus wasn't just some random guy, and this wasn't just some random piece of advice. Peter, James, and John are probably like, hey, it can't hurt. <laughs> We've been out here all night, we haven't caught anything. And they listen to Jesus, they throw the nets over, and they catch so many fish that the nets begin to break. And Jesus tells them, from now on, you're going to fish for people. And in Luke chapter 5, verse 11, it says, So they pulled their boats up to shore, left everything, and followed him. And as we'll see in a moment, the answer to Peter's question, is it worth it? Absolutely. Why? Because Jesus is worthy. He's worthy of our love. He's worthy of our wholehearted devotion. He's worthy of leaving everything to follow him. We read in the book of Acts that the apostles are arrested and beaten for talking about Jesus. It says in, in Acts 5 that the apostles rejoiced because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. And then Acts 5 verse 42 says, day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. So something radical changed from this conversation in Mark chapter 10 to Acts chapter 5. And, and Mark 10, Peter wants to know, is it worth it to leave everything to follow you? And here in Acts 5, these same men are rejoicing that they are suffering for talking about Jesus to everyone. doesn't matter the cost. And the change that had taken place 
is that Jesus had become the greatest love in their life. And their hearts are full of joy. Lesser loves will leave you sad, but Jesus as your greatest love will fill your heart with unexpressible and uncontainable joy. Third, God's love for us changes our hearts to love Him. God's love for us changes our hearts to love Him. We read in 1 John 4, 19 that we love because He first loved us. And so in verse 27, when Jesus says, with man this is impossible, but not with God, all things are possible with God, He is emphasizing that God alone can change someone's heart. See, when you realize who God is, when you realize all that God has done, when you realize the depth and the width of His love for you, it changes you. And that order is really important. God loves us and changes our hearts to love Him. We don't love God in order that God will then love us. That would be transactional. That would be a works-based relationship, right? And that's what we can fall into so easily. We try changing our behavior without ever changing our heart, and that produces legalism, not love. And that's why Jesus in his ministry, if you read through the Gospels, he focuses constantly on the person's heart. He criticized the Pharisees and the religious leaders over and over and over, not because they were doing the wrong things. No, they were doing the right things. But they were doing the right things for the wrong reasons. They were acting righteously in order to to gain favor and approval and attention from God and from other people instead of living righteously as a result of God's love for them. Instead of living righteously because of a heart that was full of love for God. A change of heart equals a change of behavior. But a change of behavior does not necessarily equal a change of heart. So how's your heart today? Is your heart full of love for God? Or is your heart full of love for lesser things? Just because you've trusted in the gospel and God has given you a new heart, that doesn't mean that your heart can't grow cold. And maybe that would describe you this morning. Perhaps you're in a season right now where it just feels like you're going through the motions in your relationship with God. You're showing up for church, you're praying, you're reading Scripture, you feel like you're doing what you should be doing, but but your heart's just not in it. The fire's gone. What do you do? What do you do if you feel like your love for God is growing cool? First, I want to encourage you to remember what captured your love at the beginning. Remember what it was there at the very beginning that that captured your love for the Lord. If you're here today and you're married, I want you to think about when you were dating your spouse. What made you fall in love with them? What do you remember most about that time? Do you remember the butterflies that you would get in your stomach every time you saw them? Do you remember how just throughout the day you could not get them out of your mind? You couldn't wait to to see them, and when you were with them, it just felt like time stood still. Do you still feel that way? 
It's easy as time passes for your love to grow cool. Some of those feelings subside. Maybe you take your relationship for granted. In marriage, when older couples usually give advice to younger couples, they'll they'll talk about the importance of continuing to date your spouse. They'll talk about be a lifelong student of, of your spouse. Learn more about them every day. What was it that captured your affections for the Lord when you first gave your life to Christ? Do you remember the passion and the zeal you had? Were you told everyone you came in contact with about God's love and about His power and about His grace? You'd wake up early just so you could spend time in God's Word. You'd stay up late finishing that chapter because you wanted to see how it would end. You joined every Bible study you could because you just wanted to know God more and more and more. Do you remember that moment in your life when grace was not some abstract concept, but it became real and personal in your life? Do you remember when you felt forgiven and free? Do you remember that moment when you realized that God loved not just the whole world, but God loved you personally? If your love for God is growing cold, go back to what captured your heart at the beginning. This was the problem for the church in Ephesus. We read in Revelation chapter 2, verse Jesus tells the church in Ephesus, you have forsaken the love you had at first. You've forgotten your first love. And you know what that tells us? That we need heart change. Not just once, but over and over and over, because it is easy for our heart to grow cold. We need the gospel daily. Every day, we need to remind ourselves of who God is and what he's done for us. Remember what captured your love at the beginning. Second, start talking about God's amazing love and grace. Because you love what you talk about, and you talk about what you love. And the more you talk about how amazing God's love is and His grace is, the more you believe it. The more confidence you have in the finished work of Christ. And the more you talk about it, the more your heart begins to swell and your love for Christ grows and grows. Have you ever asked someone if they did CrossFit? Of course you haven't. Nobody asks if they've done CrossFit because if somebody does CrossFit, they are sure to tell you, right? You've never wondered, I wonder if he does CrossFit. I wonder if she, no, trust me, they will tell you. Why? Because it works. The same thing's true with people who follow Dave Ramsey. What, you don't have to ask. They'll tell you. Hey, you need to get your financial house in order. You need to get out of debt. You need to follow these steps. Why? Because it works. The same things with, with dieting. Whether you've done keto or paleo or Whole30 or Weight Watchers or, or some other combination, when you find the plan, when you find the program that works for you, you let other people know about it, right? And the gospel works. So start talking about it. The gospel addresses the biggest questions that you and I have in life. You and I, we all have this sense that this world is not as it should be. There is pain 
and there's heartache, and there's toil, and we know this is not how it's supposed to be. You and I have a sense that this existence, this earthly life, the 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years that that we have on this earth, that there's got to be more to it than just this. The writer of Ecclesiastes says that God has put eternity into the heart of man. We know there's got to be more. I love how C.S. Lewis puts it. He says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And as we talked about last week, this sense that we have that this isn't how it should be, it's because of sin. And we experience pain and brokenness because of sin. And the gospel says that God sent Jesus to live a sinless life. Jesus represented humanity. He stepped out of heaven, he came to this earth, and he made his dwelling among us. And he became one of us. But whereas Romans says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Jesus was perfect and sinless. He was innocent and blameless. God is holy. His holiness is so great that he cannot be in the presence of sin. And so the perfect relationship between Adam and Eve and God in the Garden of Eden that was broken because of sin, and the sin that you and I now experience in this life, how can that perfect relationship be redeemed? There would need to be a sacrifice. The book of Leviticus tells us that life is in the blood. And so someone without sin would need to take the penalty that we deserve. And Jesus took our place by dying for our sins on the cross. And because of his perfect sacrifice, we can now experience complete freedom and forgiveness. And the reason we can be assured and have confidence is because Jesus did not stay dead. God raised him from the dead three days later. And Jesus is alive, and he is returning again to restore all things, all of creation, all of us. And that means whatever is wrong will one day be made right. Whatever hurt and pain you have experienced, you will be healed. And this Jesus, this Jesus is worthy of all of our praise. He is worthy of all of our devotion. And so as we wrap up our time together today, I just want God's Word to fall onto your heart and into your lives. I just want you to listen to the words of God spoken over you right now. Micah 7, verses 18 and 19. Who is a God like you, who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnants of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all of our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Revelation 4, verse 11. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Revelation 5, verse 12, in a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. When you understand who God is, and you realize what He has done for you, You can't help but talk about it. 
In our story today, the rich young ruler, we're told he walked away because he had great wealth. But I wonder, underneath it all, if the real reason he walked away was because he did not realize how much Jesus loved him. He didn't understand it. He didn't apply it to his heart. I don't think he grasped how wide and how deep the love of God was for him. Church, the gospel changes us. It changes our hearts. The gospel is good news. It starts in you. It spills out of your heart, through your mouth, to the world. And you will never be fluent in the gospel if the gospel isn't really good news to you yet. So this morning, how's your heart? If you find yourself settling for lesser loves, don't walk away sad today. Jesus can give you a new heart. And if you find yourself here today with a heart that's growing cold, remember what captured your love at first. Start talking about God's amazing love and His amazing grace. You know, when Jesus' suffering was at its most intense, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, do you know what was in his heart? It was love, and it was forgiveness for you. We know that because when Jesus was hanging there, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. If if the mouth speaks what the heart is full of, then Jesus' heart was full of forgiveness for you. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your love that is so deep, so wide. A love that sent Jesus to the cross for us so that we might have forgiveness. God, I pray the depth of that love for us would change our hearts to love you. God, your word tells us that you'll put a, give us a new heart. You'll take away the, the heart of stone and you'll give us a, a heart of flesh, a new heart, a heart that's been redeemed, a heart that loves the things that you love. And God, I pray that once we have that new heart, God, it would change the way we see everything, that we would see everything through the lens of the gospel. So God, if there's anybody here today who needs a new heart, I pray that they wouldn't walk away sad like the rich young ruler, but I pray that they would leave rejoicing, knowing that they belong to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.